kingdom had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Right, thank you, Bryn. Man, it is so good to be here on this Christmas morning, celebrating together with God's people. It has been a Christmas that has exceeded my greatest uh, imaginings here for what a white Christmas could be like here in West Michigan. This has been stellar. I've been waiting for this all of the ten years that I have lived here in Michigan to see us entirely buried in. Snow, And so it's been an awesome for those of you who made it, who trekked through the beautiful snow this morning. Uh, Yeah, so glad you're here. And we get to spend some time uh, today looking at God's word here. We've uh, been looking last night at just a brief one-sentence description of why God sent Jesus into the world. This morning, I want to take an opportunity to look at a three-sentence description of why God sent Jesus into the world. The world, and so it's there in Galatians chapter four. Bryn just read it for us, and uh, I love this particular text. I think Ken preached on it back in our Galatians series, and I was like, "Ooh, I would love to spend a little time in this beautiful text because it's a text that's all about adoption—the adoption that we have, that we're a part of God's family. God welcomes us in. God sent Jesus not just to rescue us from sin, but to bring us into His family, and our family. Some of you know, um, are, is really big into adoption and foster care. We love welcoming people into our family. We just took a new emergency foster care placement a couple days ago, and it's amazing. You get somebody who comes into your home who has nothing. Like, they don't have any clothes. They don't have, I mean, they have clothes on. But beyond that, <laughs> you know what I mean. No additional things. Like, they have no food. They have no shelter. They have, like, literally nothing. They come into your home. You get to welcome them in. You get to set a table and just spread food before them. You get to take them out shopping. Um, being a part of a family is incredible. And this time of year, not only do you get to care all the basics, food and shelter and clothing, you get to put up a massive Christmas tree and you get to have a massive Christmas feast. You get to shower them with presents and it's an incredible opportunity like to just welcome someone into your family. Um, We love doing it as a uh, Bartlett family, and it's incredible to think about that as part of why Jesus came into the world, to welcome us into his family. And so we're going to look here at Galatians 4, and I'm going to, as traditionally I do, work my way through the text here this morning. So if you've got your Bible, you're going to want to follow along with your, if you're on your phone, flip through to Galatians 4, just, just verses 4 through 7. But I want to just dial in a little bit on this text and just hopefully open for you some of the riches of what it means to be a part of God's family, that you'd get the feel like I'm hoping the girls that are in our house, probably still sleeping right now, um, that are doing, that they just get this welcome into God's family, just this lavish welcome, that we would feel that, sense that, experience that, even this morning as we're God's kids and God's children. So in Galatians 4, verse 4, we get this beautiful expression right at the beginning. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under 
law. Fairy tales often start with that wonderfully whimsical expression, once upon a time. Uh, And here in verse 4, Paul uses another beautifully crafted and theologically loaded expression, the fullness of time. Uh, Something momentous is about to happen here in Galatians chapter 4. And this wonderful expression, the fullness of time, it reminds us that God is not, that uh, Christmas is not an afterthought. It's not plan B in God's story of redemption. Christmas, God sending his son into the world, right, was God's plan from the very beginning. Everything in the Old Testament and everything in human history is building to this momentous occasion. It's the great turning point in human history. Up to this point, Paul tells us that God's people were under the law. They were given a shining vision of what humanity was supposed to look like, how things worked best, how we were supposed to live, live under this beautiful calling to love God with our hearts and soul and mind and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. We're, we're given this wonderful calling to be in the world together, but here is the problem, right? We could never live up to that calling. Uh, humanity has lived under this obligation, this duty to love God and love neighbor, but we could never fulfill it, right? Our hearts have been turned in on ourselves, right? We, we live in a world where, where self-interest dominates and we struggle to put the needs of others first. Um, Paul calls this condition slavery, right? We're living under the law, this condition of slavery, slaves to our own selfish desires, slaves to our own interests, stuck under this unyielding law, constantly condemned for our failures uh, to keep it. And We struggle today, right, simply living out the things that we know we're called to do. I mean, we we joke around about, like, dieting trends, like we know we're supposed to eat healthy, and then we're like, well, I just need some more of those chocolates that they're are putting out, some of that cake, some of those wonderful Christmas treats. We know with exercise, right, we're supposed to, like, stay in shape and exercise and do all of these wonderful things that God has called us to do to keep ourselves in shape, and we struggle to do it, right? And even with the bigger things, right? Those are just the small little things we joke about, but we know that we know what we're called to do, right? There's not a ton of mystery about what God has called us to be and do in the world, but we struggle, right? With some of the bigger things, right? With sex, with money, with power, some of the areas where we do have great uh, opportunities to do great good or great evil in the world. And Paul tells us that humanity's problem, why God sent Jesus that first Christmas morning, is, you know, we know how we're supposed to behave, how to conduct ourselves, but we're stuck, right, under this obligation. We know what we're supposed to do, but we struggle to actually want to do it from the heart. And that's why, in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus to rescue us from that condition of just being stuck in our sin, stuck in the struggles in which we find ourselves. Since God's people could never live up to the perfect standard God set in his law, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what no one else could do, to keep God's law perfectly, to be the perfect fulfillment of the law. And while we might have expected God to send his son forth as a knight in shining armor, riding in to save the day with great nobility, justice, and righteousness, God sent forth his only son as a helpless Baby, and that's what we celebrate on Christian the Christmas, the wonder of the incarnation. God sent Jesus into our world. I love how J.I. Packer describes the incarnation. He's a theologian, and he says this, and I think it's up on the screen for you. He says, The real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us, lies in the Christmas message of incarnation. 
God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. See, that's what Christmas is all about. God sending his son as a helpless child to take on our nature and show us what it means to be human, to show us a new way to be human. And Jesus would spend the first 30 years of his life in absolute and utter obscurity, living a normal life, swinging a hammer as a carpenter, learning a trade from his father, showing us and what it looks like to be human, stepping into the mundane drudgery of our lives, into the daily driver, the daily lives and routines and frustrations and futility that we experience. So we can't accuse God of being uncaring or aloof because he has entered into life in our broken and fallen world, into our routines, into the rhythms of our lives, the futility that we experience. He came down into it all to live the life that we could never live and show us what it means to be truly human, a human being fully alive. But God didn't send Jesus simply to make a a brief cameo, to stage a press conference like a politician or or, or make a quick site visit like a business executive. God sent Jesus to become a human being, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, Jesus would pay the price, right, to free us from slavery and to adopt us as his sons and daughters. And if you're familiar at all with the language of Redemption, right, it comes from the Old Testament and the ancient slave market, right? Slaves would be put up on a a block in the market and sold for a redemption price. People would be bought out of slavery uh, to sin. And God's people in the Old Testament, right, slaves to Pharaoh, slaves to Egypt, God comes with a strong arm. He rescues them and with this spotless Passover lamb, Uh, buys them back as part of his family. If you've been around our church, you probably are familiar with the language of redemption because we are, after all, Redemption City Church. And so uh, part of what we celebrate is being brought back from slavery to sin, being brought into God's family and being a part of what he's doing in the world. But it's interesting, in Paul's culture, in Greco-Roman culture, slaves could not only be set free after they were purchased, but they could also be adopted into the family. And this really blew my mind this time, right? because if you were a wealthy landowner in Greco-Roman times, you owned this vast estate, and you didn't have a biological child, right? You would have no one to pass on all of that wealth and inheritance to. And so what would often happen if you couldn't have your own children is that these rich landowners would adopt maybe a servant or even a slave in their household, someone that faithfully served their family. And that servant, that slave, the moment they became legally adopted, received all the rights that that landowner, that wealthy landowner, all the social benefits of being part of that elite set of landowners in that culture. They'd receive all of the economic benefits. That fortune would now be legally theirs. Uh, They would receive all the legal benefits, right, of being able to administer the property. And what Paul is saying, not only have you been delivered from slavery, not have you redeemed from a life of bondage and servitude and living under the duty and obligation, but not be able to keep it, you've been welcomed into a family, given the inheritance, given everything 
God has. Here in Galatians 4, Paul wants his readers to see they've not only been freed from slavery to sin, not only are they no longer under the bondage of the law, under, under, this, under this obligation to keep the law, they've been adopted into God's family with all the privileges and benefits that come with that. And I think as Christians, sometimes we, we get the message, right, Jesus died for our sins, you know. You know, we, we understand that. Yeah, we get that. Like, yeah, check that box, right? Jesus paid for all of our sins. But I think sometimes we fail to grasp the benefits of being God's sons and daughters. All the riches that we have as God's children. We miss out on those enormous uh, privileges. Imagine you are a slave and you find that someone has paid off your debt, right? You've been set free. That's, that's good news, right? And, and they go say, go enjoy your freedom, right? You, you now take whatever, I mean, you're a servant, you're a slave, you have nothing to go with you, so you're sent out into the world. No house, right? No, no clothes, no food, no property, right? That you're free, but that creates massive amounts of problems, right? If you look at American history and slavery, you know that happened in, in tragic ways. People were set free without any of the resources or material to sustain or defend themselves or provide for themselves. And so it's great to be set free, but it's another thing entirely to imagine, right, if you're a slave, someone has paid your debt, but then adopted them into their family. They welcome you into their home. They put clothes on your back, right? There's a Christmas tree. In the, there's, there's gifts. There's there's presence. All of these benefits are lavished upon. That's what, that's what adoption is, right? It's the precondition for all the other gifts of God. When we're adopted into God's family, right, we don't just get set free from slavery to sin. We get all the gifts that God has for us. Again, J.I. Packer says this. He says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. Uh, James 1.17 says this, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. As God's children, God showers his gifts uh, upon us. And I have a, a picture here. I shared it actually yesterday too. But, you know, since I'm double dipping on sermons here, I'm also double dipping on illustrations here. Uh, but I love this picture. It's uh, the picture of when we adopted our daughter Maida a couple of years ago. It's right downtown in the Grand Rapids courtroom. And, and what I love about this picture is it symbolizes both the legal elements. There's a judge standing right in the background. She has just nailed her gavel and declared officially that Maida is now legally Maida Bartlett. She's no longer a Maida Zilema, <laughs> part of this family that she was a part of in Honduras. Her parents have passed away already. So she's now legally a part of our family, right, with all the benefits that entails. But not only is she legally a Bartlett, just been declared to be a Bartlett, it's been written out, it's been put into law, it's now on all of her paperwork. Now she is a part of this beautiful network of relationships and people, right? Our nuclear family is all gathered around her, and then there's some church family off to the left there. You might recognize a few of those faces. And then on the right side, there's a bunch of caseworkers and social workers and all these wonderful people that have become a part of her new family, right? She went from being an orphan, no parents um, outside of this system, to being welcomed into this beautiful, bit rich network of relationships. And while she struggled to grasp those benefits initially and find her place in the family, one of those beautiful things as a foster parent is just to watch her just recognize that all the benefits that she has part of it. She doesn't have to earn it. She doesn't have to gain it. She doesn't have to work really hard for it. 
but she just gets to be a part of all the benefits of our family because she's a Bartlett now. All of the legal benefits that have been conferred are now hers, and then all of those beautiful, rich, relational benefits as well. And that's what we see in Galatians 4. Paul wants to drive home to us not just the legal reality, not just that the gavel has been dropped and the name has been changed in the paperwork and legality. He, he wants the reality of our sonship, that we're sons and daughters of the king, to come home to us on a deeply relational and experiential uh, level. Notice what Paul says here in verse 6. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God didn't just send Jesus to secure our legal status as sons and daughters. And in inheritance, he sent his spirit to make our adoption real in our hearts. And we can see this so clearly in this text here. The word Abba is the Aramaic word for Papa or Daddy, right? It's that familiar expression that children use with their Father, it's interesting in, in Jewish culture of that time, uh, both adult children or young children would use that word Abba because it was about the intimacy that they had, this, this beautiful access they had to their father. If you've been watching the Chosen uh, series, um, you'll see this in episode um, or season three, episode one. It's a beautiful expression where Matthew, the tax collector, he's like, he's living out of his own, has his own house, has his own career, but he's still using that word Abba for his father, because that's just the kind of relationship you have with your own nuclear family, with your own parents. You're, you're able to, to enter into that relationship with them as a son, right? There's, that's a special privilege. There's an intimacy to that. And we get to approach the God of the universe with that same kind of confidence. Uh, there's a wonderful story in, in one of uh, President Lincoln's biographies. I can't remember which one, uh, but it's this, it's this beautiful story, right? There are all these really important people lined up at the White House to visit, have appointments with President Lincoln. And you could just imagine there are crowds of people, like lines of people. Back in that time, the White House was open, so people could just come, secure appointments. So there's thousands of people in line. There are all these really important senators and, you know, cabinet members making their way up into the White House. But Abraham Lincoln's kids had the run of the White House. I mean, it's crazy. They would just run around and just jump on Abraham Lincoln's lap while he's having important meetings with his cabinet leaders. Just an incredible, very different world, a very different White House than we have today. But I just want you to get that vision of this beautiful access we have. to Just like Abraham Lincoln's kids just run right in to the Oval Office and just jump into Abraham Lincoln's lap. Like, we have some of that same Access. In fact, we have more access to an even greater Father in heaven. And without this access, right, uh, to our Father in heaven, all the treasures of his love and his grace and his peace and his joy and his hope, they're going to go unopened, right? Without that realization that we can come to our Father, we can run into his office, as it were, jump on his lap and pester him with all of our petitions, just like our little kids are doing on Christmas morning. Can we open gifts now? Can we do, can we do that? We have that same kind of access to our <clears throat> Father in heaven. And I love that. I, I love this story of adoption that God sent Jesus, and not just to forgive sins, right? not just to declare us righteous, not just to welcome us into heaven someday, but so that we can receive the full right as adoption as sons and daughters, to have that intimacy, have that access 
with God. And so what would that mean for us in real life as we walk out and actually try to live into our new identity as sons and daughters? As Christians, right, how do we make space, right, to remember our true identity? How can we begin to live into those beautiful rhythms of grace that God has for us? It's striking that Jesus taught his disciples to pray by starting with our Father, by starting with Abba, that was supposed to be the thing that framed their prayer lives. As they talked to their father, they recognized the incredible access they have to him. They can come to him anytime. How would that change your times of structured and spontaneous prayer, right? If you started each day with just the the recognition and realization that you have access to the God of the universe, you you can enter into a relationship with the person that sits sovereign king of the entire universe and bring all of your concerns and your questions, your doubts, your fears, your anxieties, and just lay them at his feet? How would that change the way you shaped the way you entered your day or the way you put yourself to sleep every night, uh, bringing your cares and concerns to your father? How would that change the way you interact throughout the course of the day, just recognizing as you're going about life and all of its rigors and challenges, you have a father in heaven, and just like your kids can tug at your tug at your clothes, and pester you at any point, in any moment. Uh, You have that same kind of unfettered access to your heavenly Father. I I love the access that we have, and I want so much for our church to be able to just, not just recognize that you are sons and daughters of the King, but to experience that beautiful access that we have to our Father. Actually open the gifts, open the presents, because the greatest present you can receive This Christmas morning is to be a part of God's family because if you have that gift, every other gift comes alongside it. I I wanted to close with one maybe quick quote here, piling up quotes at this point, but um, from Sinclair Ferguson, I thought this was a great way to close. He said, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of of redemption. I love that. Living out of our identity in sons and it's the mainspring of our Christian living. If we can ground ourselves in that identity, it drives everything else. That welcome, that acceptance, uh, that love, that grace that we have from our Father just shapes everything else the way we then begin to interact. I know as a parent with my kids and with the people around us too, we get to begin to act not, not as orphans, but as sons and daughters of the living God. Oh, that we'd be a church filled with people who both know that they're adopted by God and have experienced that adoption and get to celebrate all those good gifts that flow out of that adoption and share that beautiful invitation with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these brief reminders here. Uh, God, that Christmas was not uh, simply an opportunity to stage a, a brilliant cameo where God could come down and take a look at all the messiness of life here in this fallen world, but you came all the way down right into our world uh, to rescue, to redeem, and to welcome us into your family. Uh, God, to provide for our needs, uh, to bring a family around us that would support us, to give us a greater mission that we could be a part of in the world. God, so we thank you for that. We pray that this morning, each of us would be able to unwrap that gift of our adoption as sons and daughters, that we'd live out of that. Uh, today and to every day. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.